the first time I've heard of a Buddhist priest, a Zen Buddhist priest was when I arrived at Green Gulch Farm. And uh, I had already been sitting uh, with a Vipassana group in Yuma, Arizona, and I had lived nine months at a Tibetan center, uh, liked the Dharma, it was great, but it wasn't going to be my life or anything like that. Um, and I had decided to become a farmer, as many 27, 28 year olds do, and moved to Green Gulch. Within the five day guest period, I realized I didn't like bending at the waist or being dirty. <laughs> but uh, Zen blew me away. I would never be the same. It was a revelation uh, for those who are interested in astrology. It was my Saturn return. Um, I don't advocate astrology, but I thought I would mention it. Um, blew me away. Uh, even just being, I was still new to California, even just being in California to me was like the promised land. I'm from a suburb of Chicago. Uh, everything was new. Uh, you drive through a rainbow bridge just to arrive at Green Gulch. <laughs> so it was welcoming. And the best part is there's no reason why it's a rainbow bridge. They've since named it the Robin Williams Bridge, but at the time it was simply a rainbow bridge for no reason, which almost made it even better. It wasn't even gay. It was just a rainbow bridge. Um, I had never really been so close to nature on an ongoing basis. Uh, as Green Gulch, you're a mile from Muir Beach, it's beautiful. The people there uh, blew me away. I found myself sitting at a table with a Freedom Rider. And I hadn't gone to see the Freedom Rider, he just happened to be sitting uh, at the table. It was uh, pretty amazing. The, the, the teachers there um, were like the same age as my parents, but seemed smarter and hipper. <laughs> I don't know if any of that's true, but they were in shape, at least. They, uh, it was, it was um, a revelation in itself. Uh, I saw in them people who I wanted to be, um, templates. Uh, and I hadn't really seen that before. Uh, at the breakfast table, there were people talking about perception. Um, and I had never like just encountered, you're just walking by and people are deep in a casual conversation about silence or meditation. Um, and breakfast was there and it was always prepared for us, even when we were preparing it. Um, the scriptures, I felt like I was hearing my own language for the first time in my life. Um, a lot of people find uh, Zen writings to be uh, enigmatic or to not make sense. Um, and I'm flattering myself, but if it felt like everything made perfect sense to me. 
uh, even if I didn't understand it, I still don't understand it all. It had a sense to it, to me. Uh, during service, we were sitting there reading the scriptures and I'm elbowing the person next to me. Are you hearing this? Are you hearing this? This is genius. Where do they get this stuff? Um, it was like, um, it was like seeing uh, myself actualized for the first time ever, and I never knew it was there um, my whole life. So it was a very beautiful experience uh, once I found the office. <laughs> um, I would note that um, this is not unusual. A lot of people are blown away when they first go to a Dharma center. Um, as the years wore on, I found myself um, very normal in the 20-year-old boy syndrome uh, of going there and you think you finally found the answer and you fall in love with everybody there and um, everything seems perfect. It's a castle, uh, it's a fairy tale. Um, so I'm not pretending that my experience was unusual, but I did follow through. I stayed, I came back as soon as I could, and I stayed and stayed. I stayed a year. I went to Tassajara for three years. I went back to Green Gulch for a year. I spent five years total uh, living in those communities. Part of what I saw there was doing um, people trying to do society better. Um, and that resonated with me because the world is corrupt. Um, I had already worked in regular jobs in the world. Um, I don't need to bore you all with my own personal examples. I know that we've all had our own personal examples of exactly how backwards the world is. Um, there's people sitting outside right now, and there's empty houses, and I had worked in business-type jobs. I had also worked in publishing when it was crashing. Uh, they laid people off. The publisher gave herself a $40,000 raise the same week. Um, so... I thought I found a better way, or at least attempting to do a better way. I would come to find out that there's just as much corruption everywhere you go. And that's incredibly disappointing to me. Um, even in my own heart, there's corruption, racism, cutthroat, attitudes, which you find at Dharma centers. Um, but for now, it was beautiful. <laughs> Lifelong questions of mine that I had never heard out loud from other sources before. Um, I heard, and there were ideas about answers. I always wondered, like I'm sure many people here have, how life can seem to mean so much. 
and be so insignificant, just wiped away. 15 minutes, we could, five minutes, we could all be gone. Right now, everything means so much, so that's a dilemma. And um, we're chanting the Genjo Koan, and I hear the Buddha way is basically leaping clear of the many and the one. And I'm just blown away. I don't know that that's the answer to the question, but for the first time I've seen it addressed. It meant the world to me. Box and lid fit. Arrow points meet head on. That's what I felt. My life depends on others' death. That's another dilemma. How, how can I reconcile? How can I live? How can I not live? And I see on the Han, birth and death is serious business. Awake, awake, do not waste this life. So it was very meaningful to me. The great matter was at hand. People were talking about it over breakfast. Um, so I stayed and I wanted to do every single part of it. I worked in the kitchen a lot and I, if there was soup to be made, I wanted to make the soup. If there was tea to be poured, I wanted to pour the tea. If there were questions to be asked and I wanted to ask a question. There was no part of it I didn't want to do on through the 80-year-olds that I saw there. Soon after I arrived, there was a shuso ceremony. This is a very formal ceremony for the head monk. Extremely important feeling. <laughs> uh, if I found myself wearing a Cubs shirt, I wished I wasn't wearing the Cubs shirt. <laughs> um, very fancy, scripted. They walk a book around the room. Everybody's chanting. There's choreography with drums. There's people on the stand. And I find out that it's a ceremony to ask questions. And I fell in love with that. And in the ceremony, the punchline of the Shuso ceremony is the words of Bodhidharma. Nothing holy, just emptiness. Or some amalgamation like that. And here we are in the most formal ceremony I've ever been in. And they're saying nothing holy. And I loved it. I, I ate it up. Every part of me loved it. They were holding it up and tearing it down at the same time. And I had never seen that before in religion. It was special. And to me, that is still what's special about Buddhism and in particular Zen. It dissects itself. It's all a matter of study. It's about breaking things into parts 
and investigating. And this seriously resonated with me. It resonated with the part of me that wanted to be the good person and stir the soup and pour the tea. And it resonated with the part of me that wanted to tear it all down. So I did as well as I could. And I, uh, I stayed the requisite year. I did two practice periods. I went to Tassajara, as is the kind of pattern for that. I stayed for five practice periods and another three summers, five practice periods. I spent a year um, visiting Buddhist pilgrimage sites. Well, that was only part of the year, but uh, traveling, spent more time in Alaska, went back to Green Gulch to hopefully ordain. <laughs> um, didn't happen. Stars weren't aligned. Um, but this is how I came to the priesthood. Um, through that initial being enamored and just that even when I encountered incredible disappointments and corruption, even right there in the Dharma, uh, believe me, which did not sit well with me and I'm still not over it. <laughs> um, I just, it was the only thread. It was the only thing that I'd ever found that I wanted to be a part of. There's that saying, like I see it on army posters, like be part of something bigger than yourself. And I will admit that I never understood that. I never understood <laughs> wanting to be part of something bigger than oneself. Like why, why would you not just wanna be that big thing? <laughs> uh, but when I encountered Zen and the tradition, been passed on for hundreds, thousands of years, I, I, I totally understood that the willingness and the wanting, the desperate wanting to be part of something that I actually agreed with, <laughs> as opposed to everything else. The corrupt, the absurd, heartbreaking, kicking the teeth, the lonely, cruel world um, it has good things, but uh, other things that are pretty tough to get over. <clears throat> so I followed the thread eventually, um, was asked to leave Green Gulch and uh, found myself here in Santa Cruz, X, Y, Z, five years go by, my credits transfer, and Jean and Dana ordained me. That was five weeks ago. Um, I wonder what it takes to be a priest. 
because I certainly did all those things with uh, partially a greedy mind, partially wholesome, but I wanted to be a priest. I wanted to actualize myself in that way. Um, but I feel some uh, insecurity because I'm younger than so many other people who have studied the Dharma for longer and maybe they should be priests. There's other people who are nicer than me and of purer hearts, they should be priests. And here in the US, US, um, there's this is kind of a young tradition, and there's not many like actual requirements like in other traditions. I think if you want to be a rabbi, you go to rabbinical school, or like um, other traditions have uh, specific hoops and things to learn that you do. So here it's this is kind of wishy-washy. And I asked Abbot Steve Stuckey about that once because I was already gaining practice periods under my belt. And practice periods are kind of like the coin of the empire here. So I had, and I saw people already kind of getting ordained. And I'm like, they need to have some requirements. Some people would come and I would know the forms better. And I need, I'm thinking there needs to be some requirements for this. So I asked Abbot Steve and he said that um, it's still being ironed out here. Um, but the good thing about it in not being so regulated is there's freedom in it. And I, think that's dangerous, but it's also something I've turned over in my mind for the last, you know, eight or nine years. And I think it's worth saying. So the main thing that it takes to become a priest here in the US, um, you have to come by an OKSA Often, like ours, it's sewn by yourself, which takes a while. Um, and there's other kind of, some people have checklists. You got to do this many practice periods. You have to read these books. Um, you have to sit by my side for five years. And then other people are like, your job is to not sit by my side for five years. <laughs> so um, it's, it's not too formalized, but the one thread is that anybody who is ordained uh, was ordained by somebody who was ordained. So in that case, uh, for me, it was Dana and Jean. And I appreciate that uh, for their faith in my practice, because I know I'm not user friendly. Um, so thank you. Uh, but I just want to make sure it's said that this is not a sign of spiritual accomplishment because I've literally known people with birds landing on their shoulders who are not ordained. And 
I've known some great people who have studied the Dharma for like 40 years and done more practice periods, done thousands of practice periods, and they're not ordained, or they're just carefully taking their lay precepts. And I just, I really appreciate that. Uh, it's not a sign of spiritual accomplishment. We're all spiritual in my opinion. We're all spiritual who, any of us who has ever changed their mind about anything or anybody who has encountered birth and death is or could be the most spiritual among us because it doesn't get any deeper than that. This robe was made out of whole cloth and I cut it up and I sewed it back together. But the whole enterprise is made cut from whole cloth. It's just an exercise. There are also ordained people who do terrible things and abuse their position. Um, so if the most spiritual among us is not gonna mess around with being ordained because it's a stupid game and the ordained do terrible things and it's not formalized with benchmarks, it can't really be taken as a sign of spiritual accomplishment. The precepts that I took when being ordained as a priest were the same ones I took as a lay person. And they're the same precepts that we take every month or that people take when they get married. Um, so a beginner's mind would say that's very smug. It's very nice that you get to be called reverend for taking the same precepts and call that your excuse. But in the Zendo, there's one person who stands in the middle of the room and that's the priest. There's one person who offers incense during service and that's the priest. So don't, it's kind of fake to say that it's nothing. And to that person with beginner's mind, I would agree that there is absurdity. And this is one of the many absurd things. But at least for me, this was the way forward. And there's a chance to make something good out of it. But I can't levy my will on the world. Everything is co-created. So it's up to the world and the community and me to figure out what it means. I liked what my friend Jeff said about the early monks. Um, 
monasteries were almost orphanages uh, in the early days and still in many places. Uh, nunneries, as you probably know, were these are these are places for people who don't fit into society, who are outcasts, halfway houses almost sometimes. Um, and Jeff said, but isn't Buddhism beautiful that it takes all these people and makes something good out of it? And I like that too. Um, and also as applied to priesthood, um, at least there's the chance to make something good out of it. So with one, uh, I think I'm almost out of time and we can go see how many medals the Norwegians have won in the last 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> Uh, one final kind of case study is from when I worked in the anthropology department at UC Santa Cruz, and this is kind of my last model of how to understand the priesthood. Uh, anthropology is the study of humans, uh, study of man, but they include all humans, um, the study of the hominid form. And a person who had graduate or who had not graduated uh, like 20 or 30 years ago was just a few credits short of their anthropology degree circa 1988 or something. <laughs> and he called in, he said, I'm missing seven credits over the last. 20 years, 25 years, I've traveled to all these countries. I've talked to all these people. Clearly, that's worth the seven credits. So can I get my anthropology degree? And I was luckily not the person who had to evaluate this, but the people who did, they actually said no. Uh, this degree is about studying in this formalized setting. And even if the content is very much the same, the degree only means this thing. So please come back for your seven formal credits. And that's what they said. Um, and so when I'm trying out models for how to understand the priesthood, that's kind of how I understand it as well. Um, because we're all more spiritual through the kick in the teeth than through, you know, jumping through hoops. But this is an academic exercise. And so for this degree, I've jumped through hoops and that's really the only reason um, I have this uh, for us to put together together. Um, but I'm still grateful uh, for 
Dana and Jean uh, taking this ugly duckling and hoping to make something good out of it. And I'll do my best um, with, with also your will uh, deciding things. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it.